So before the podcast begins, let me tell you a little bit about um, how Fish Food Podcast um, got started. Um, it was really born out of conflict and struggle. Uh, some of it was my own struggles as a pastor, um, coupled with over 20 years of hearing thousands of others facing difficult circumstances. And I believe that humble vulnerability is begin- the beginning of not only surviving a hard situation, but actually thriving in the midst of it. And these are stories are um, of stories of real people that are confronted with how to respond to their struggles while learning to trust in God's mercy and grace. And if you like what you hear, three things would be incredibly helpful. One, pass it along. If you know of someone that these podcasts would benefit, please share. We are creating these for that purpose. Uh, Second, become a patron. In order to produce more content, and we want to do video, podcast, and print, we need your support. Visit fishfood.me and click on support and become a patron. If you're like me, you'll, you'll, you'll hear this, you'll put it off and forget to do it. So do it now. Um, as soon as you can pull over or turn off the iron or stop washing the dishes or however you're listening to the podcast, um, go to the website and click on patron. Uh, and then thirdly, if you or someone you know has a story of God's restorative mercy and are willing to share, please write to us. We'd love to hear your story and we might be able to use it um, for a future podcast. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, folks. This is your host, Corey Pelton, and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. What that stirred up in me was this very, very... um, deep sense of self-loathing, an insane, a a, a truly insane desire to, uh, I kind of got this idea, I was like, well, then I have to stay circumstantially beneficial to people. I have to do it. And so I was constantly running myself ragged, trying to accomplish that, to make sure that I was taking care of everybody. Our guest on this episode is Calvin Armerding. He's a good friend. He's a counselor with Traveler's Rest Counseling Associates at TravelersRestCounseling.com. He is a great writer, a great musician. He has a band called The Muchmores, which you can find at BandCamp.com or look him up on Spotify at The Muchmores. That's one word, Uh, but we are thrilled to have with us Calvin Armerding. All right. I just want to say that I am in your office, <laughs> and uh, for the listener, Calvin is a good friend. He is a, a elder of a local church. Um, he's a counselor, and I am sitting on his couch in his counseling office. <laughs> well, this, yeah, this I is different. My, I want to prop my feet up. <laughs> you and you're welcome to. There, there are very few rules in here, so. <laughs> 
Except, I guess uh, this is a weird experience for me having the person on the couch ask me the questions. This is, this is a little right. different. but That's right. But I, I have a feeling that I'm probably going to get more counsel than the, <laughs> the questions the questions that I could ever ask. So uh, I appreciate you being willing to do oh this. Oh, my gosh. This is a, a pleasure for me to do. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, so you're a counselor. I am. Yeah. Did is that what you always knew you wanted to be since you were five years old? Yeah, actually, um, back my junior year in high school, I had an English teacher who, I think we read a short. I, I mean, I guess what's interesting about this, I, I really don't remember the specific experience, but we maybe read a short story or, or, or something, and there was a therapist in the in the story that was you know kind of a, a dialogue in a counseling session. And I, and I read it and I said, that's what I want to do. And I also, um, in that very same class, Mr. Gray's English class in, in uh, uh, so- sophomore Not a very junior black year. and white class, right? He... Was it? No, yeah, it was lots of gray there. <laughs> lots of gray. Uh, I also decided I wanted to be a writer. Um, so I wanted to be a therapist and a writer. And now here I am, um, 30 years old, and I'm... And I'm doing those things. I'm a counselor, and um, I do some songwriting. I, I love to. I, I love to do. I wish I had more time to do other kinds of writing, but um, counseling and writing, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Here I am, 50 years old, trying to figure out what I want to do. And <laughs> you knew it since what the ninth grade. <laughs> well, it, it. you know, it was. Um, th- there's a blessing and a curse to that. You know, I think it was. It, it was so hard being that young knowing precisely what i wanted to do because i couldn't do it mm. um like i i i had this strong sense of um gosh th- this is what i want to do with my life and there were you know 50 barriers between me and and being able to do that like and, a driver's license <laughs> yeah like yeah like a driver's license exactly um and then and a college degree and a master's degree and and this many uh, supervised hours of, of counseling and a, and a licensure process. And, and not to mention the fact that nobody wants to uh, get counsel from a 16-year-old, which is, that's a, a wise thing. Especially your siblings, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or your parents. Or like, <laughs> my parents could tell you stories about, uh, I'm sure, me trying to, you know, therapize them at the ripe old age of 17. But <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, what was the what was the process? How did you? Uh, where'd you go to school? How did you end up mm-hmm. checking those boxes? Yeah. So, um, uh, so I, I went to Furman for undergrad. I uh, went in right away. Wanted to declare as a psychology and English major. That's the um, counseling and writing part together. Um, declared that as soon as I possibly could. Uh, double majored and uh, never wavered in that choice if i went back again if i if i had to do it over again i'd do it exactly like i did it except maybe not take economics (laughs) um but everything else i would do exactly uh like i did i loved loved undergrad um was so very deeply affected by a lot of my instructors there not just in you know kind of my fields of study there was a, a history teacher um dr savita nair who had a honestly a, a really massive impact on me just in a like introduction to um you know western civ kind of a class or um yeah it, it, i mean it was a pretty just like intro level history course made it had a big impact on me 
um, took a biology class that had a big impact mm -hmm. on me. Took a, actually, I saw, <laughs> I was changing in the gym the other day and saw a, a religion professor who's, he's been retired now for five years. He had a big impact on me. So just, I mean, my college experience was about as good as it possibly could have been. Um, then I went to, um, my wife and I moved to Denver uh, just the summer after we uh, finished up at Furman. And I went to Denver Seminary, got a counseling degree there. And really about six months into that program, I realized, oh no, what did I do leaving upstate South Carolina? I love it there. And so pretty soon after we finished up our schooling, uh, we moved straight back and have been here ever since. And now we live in Traverse Rest. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about doing these podcasts, and one of the reasons, part of the impetus behind doing it, is is realizing that there's not a single person that doesn't have struggle or trial or um, a story, and mm -hmm. so we're kind of capturing these 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 different stories, so normalize it a little bit. We mm -hmm. live in a broken world, um, and you've got a story. You've had you've had struggle in the past. Um, yeah. What is what? Tell me about that. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a family, um, really. That I mean, we were just. I was a I was a really blessed kid. Two parents who stayed together, um, and and modeled to my brother and I, um, you know, a, a love for the Lord, a love for each other, a love for other people. Um, I have an older brother who is by far my favorite human being on the planet <laughs> wasn't cool. wasn't always that way but um but it is just a he's a natural teacher um he was like the coolest big brother ever he would like you know have me hang out when he was a senior in high school he would bring along his little sophomore brother to hang out with his friends i mean like nobody does that nobody cool. nobody does that so i i just had this very charmed uh very charmed um, childhood, very happy childhood, with some with some negative things that were scattered in there. Um, I certainly wasn't uh, a well put together person by any means, but my environment was just really splendid, and that included, um, you know, really I had never, like, on both sides of my family, everybody lives forever. You know, um, uh, several of my grandparents lived well into their nineties. Uh, my grandmother is still alive. She's in her 90s. Um, and so I really, I hadn't even experienced death in the family at all. And so, uh, and then I'm at college having this incredible college experience, having the time of my life, falling in love with, uh, with my wife, um, got married to my wife before we were even out of college because I was so certain that, that this was um, the woman that I needed to spend the rest of my life with. And all these things, and then, um, and then, my senior year, my cousin, who was a couple years older than me, got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm -hmm. kind of out of nowhere. He was a really healthy guy, uh, D1 cross-country runner. You know, I mean, just like kind of, you know, this was not a pre-diabetic, wow. obese cousin. I mean, right, he was the pinnacle right. of health, and um, and kind of out of nowhere gets diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in September and he was getting treatment um, and I and I just kind of tuned that out I didn't 
really know how to process any of that, how to think about it. I remember I Googled non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the specific strain that he had, and um, saw some ridiculously low survival rate for it. And I remember that was, a, I was like, I'm not thinking about this again. Wow. I'm not doing it. And I just kind of turned my brain off, threw myself into my senior year, was ha again, having a great time. And, uh, and then my cousin emailed me and said, hey, like you should, you should come, uh, your brother's coming to see me, you should come see me. And I had this like free flight from, that I'd gotten from, I think some United had like canceled one of my flights and given me a, some voucher. And I was really thinking about doing it. And then um, partly I think I was just scared out of my mind mm -hmm. to, to, to see him that sick. And then, um, and then I was just like, well, you know, like I got this project that's coming up. And so, you know, so I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm not going. I don't think I even emailed him back or anything. And, um, and two weeks later he died mm. just out of nowhere. And <laughs> I remember sitting in this, uh, sitting in Dr. Rasmussen's, uh, I was in like a senior seminar class with him and I got this, my phone was buzzing and I looked and it was my brother calling and I, and I knew what it was. Ugh and let it go to voicemail and i remember leaving class and just walking straight to the woods behind the chapel because i was like i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna be walking back to my dorm room and listen to this voicemail and so i walked down the woods and listened to this voicemail and <laughs> and uh and heard what i heard and something in me just like it just came undone Part of it was just, I mean, it was just naturally sad, but uh, all these other events in my life just started, it was like they got strung together finally. Wow. And this really not, it was really unhealthy idea made perfect sense to me. And it was this, that if I don't stay circumstantially beneficial to people, they either will abandon me or they'll, or they'll die. Mm. I mean, and like I say, I say that now, and it still feels just as real to me. But I like I also hear how crazy it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it it took me back to this prior experience I'd had. I had this best friend in fifth grade. We'd had this falling out at the end of fifth grade. We both moved to different towns. He wrote me a letter apologizing, and I threw it away. And six weeks later, he died. Wow. He'd fallen off of a ladder and 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 bled to death. And I, that was another one. I just turned it off. I just I just sidelined that. Mm -hmm. And and then just you know there were just a a few other experiences. Uh, uh, of falling out of favor with a really close friend that I'd had at Furman during that senior year. All these, and I, and I could name 15 others, all these experiences got strung together by this idea and it said, okay, my life makes sense. But what that stirred up in me was this 
very, very um, deep sense of self-loathing. Uh, a an insane, a, a, a truly insane desire to, I, I kind of got this idea as like, well, then I have to stay circumstantially beneficial to people. I have to do it. And so I was constantly running myself ragged, trying to accomplish that, to make sure that I was taking care of everybody. Because you felt if you didn't, something was going to happen to them. They were either going to die or they were going to abandon me. Wow. And this, this extended to my wife. So I would have, you know, I was in the first year of marriage. And so I'd, you know, do a small, I'd make a small failure. And where my mind would go is, she's going to leave me. Mm. Like, <laughs> she's, she's going to be, uh, she's going to be done with me. Because she looks at me and says, this guy, this guy isn't cutting it. Like, he, he is such a drag on me. And what, what, do, what do I need him for? And so, so you know, I, uh, I did, did all that. Um, got worse when uh, I have a cousin who previously, um, he's doing, I'm just so proud of him, I can't stand it. But I have another cousin on that same side of the family who was having a really difficult time with alcohol and went to uh, a wedding, a big family wedding. I saw him drinking a lot, and I saw him go climb in his truck to drive 30 miles to where he was going to stay that night. And I, and I said to myself, you need to go stop him. You need to go do something. And I, and I just in my mind, um, I'm not doing it. And... <laughs> And on that drive, he fell asleep, and um, it's a miracle the guy's alive. Like the pictures of his truck, I mean, it was just, it was absolutely demolished. I have no idea how he is a functioning human being or, or not in the ground. And it, it was like, it was this moment that it was like, you see, do you see what happens when you don't do what you're supposed to do? And... Um, and so then, you know, I'm, uh, you know, this all culminated. I was, you know, training to be a counselor, which that's a that's a great thing to be doing when you're when you have this crazy, insane idea that you need to take care of everybody. You know, it was terror every client, every new client that I would get in my practicum. I was like, they're gonna they're gonna kill themselves if I don't do a good enough job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just it was just absolutely exhausting. And then, you know, it it finally got to a point where I was just so discouraged about being able to do it that I just said, you know what, I'm just a sorry person. You know, I'm just, I'm just really not any good. I can't do it. And once you, once you cross that line, then, then you just move into this space where you do all kinds of things that you shouldn't be doing. Because you're just, you're, you know, you're so discouraged. You're so over. Because what does it matter? Well, I mean, what does right? it matter? It's, it's just, it's unattainable. Mm. Why try? Did you think you're, I mean, you're pursuing counseling. Did you think, well, I'm not even, why even do this? I mean, that's, is that where you were going in your thoughts of going, or just, well, I'll just get this job and I'll. The, it, it went a bit in the opposite direction that 
and and probably much more unhealthy. <laughs> Sometimes I look back and wish I just would have pressed pause on my education or or training or whatever else to get healthy. But the thing is, is that I I found that I was really good at it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was really good at it, and so it was the one thing, perhaps, in my life that I could look at and say, well, you know. Every, in, in every other way, I am just, you know, I'm falling apart, but I can go and do this and be really good, be really good just for a few hours, you know, a week. I can go and, and do it right. The, what was really unfair about that to my clients is that, um, and hope, I hope that, that they never felt this, but I put this burden on them to make, to make me feel mm-hmm. adequate, even just for a few hours a week, I you know that was the one place where i could where i could do that my marriage was falling apart because you know poor jesse i mean <laughs> she I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be married to me at the t- i mean and how what it must have been like to be married to somebody who hated themselves that much mm. and and was so tired and you know i had nothing left in the tank for her when I would come home, nothing. Um, so that was falling apart. My friendships were falling apart because the, with, with maybe uh, a couple exceptions. Church was like a disaster at the time. We had this horrible experience with a church plant um, that we were involved in, uh, an awful falling out with with the pastor of that church who was trying to mentor me at the, I think in a very well-intentioned way was trying to mentor me at the time. It was just like my, my whole life was just disintegrating minus my, my work in the counseling office Mm -hmm. where I was excelling. Wow. So what was the turning point? Well, so, um, I was in therapy at the time and this, this therapist that I was working with who, who truly was, I mean, I look back on it and I'm so thankful uh, for her um, in part just because I had somebody to to dump all this crap in front of you know I just sure. I, I had this opportunity to to lay all this out she worked um, from at least partially she worked from a cognitive behavioral perspective and for people who aren't in the therapy world the, the idea of that perspective is if we can just get the thoughts lined up uh, correctly then the feelings will follow, and from the feelings, then behaviors will follow. So we got the cognitive, the thought part, leading to the behavioral part. And uh, you know, and and I don't want to speak ill of that perspective, except just for this: that uh, for me, that perspective doesn't mm. work because mm. I can out logic anybody, mm. and I, and I don't say that with pride. No, <laughs> no, you really can. <laughs> no, You're yeah, good. you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can, I can out logic anybody, <laughs> and and even to the most insane things. You know, I mean, the, to the most crazy places, and so uh, this therapist was, she was really trying to get me to adopt a different way of thinking than this idea that if I don't remain circumstantially beneficial to people, then they'll abandon me or they'll die. And I mean, I, and I totally get it. I mean, what she was trying to do now, particularly as a therapist with some experience under my belt, I'm like, well, yeah, of course you, of course she was trying to do that. The trouble was, is that my experience confirmed that statement over and over and over again. Like when mm-hmm. my cousin crashed his truck, right. it was like, you see, like, 
This is the way that the world works. And, and, and the trouble with it is that, it, I mean, it really, I had so much evidence. I had more evidence that she could ever drum up to support my hypothesis, you know? Hmm. And so she's trying to get me out of this way of thinking. She's trying to get me to see that I am, that I'm lovable and, and, you know, demonstrate to me that there is this unconditional love. And, and then the struggle started to become theological too. Whereas, you know, that statement extended to God too. See, if I don't remain circumstantially beneficial to God, he'll abandon me or, or he'll, he'll die in the sense that, well, maybe he just doesn't exist. Mm. Maybe he just doesn't exist. And, um, and so then I also am surrounded by all these uh, churchgoers and Christians who are trying to put on me, no, like God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. And then in the back of my mind, there's like all this, uh, again, I have all this evidence to stack up against them. No, don't you see? God is out for his glory. That's really what he's after. See, and he's, he's self-serving like we are. And everybody's trying to convince me out of this way of thinking. And really, um, really what it came down to is that I accepted the idea. I said, you know what? This is true. This is true about other people. And it's true about God. Now, what do I want to do about it? Hmm. See, and, and really that was... That was the looming question the whole time. It's like I, I, had, I had actually quite accurately perceived the depravity of myself and of other human beings. That, that is kind of how we work. And, you know, to, to varying degrees, my wife has stuck with me, even though I've been a real pain in her butt for a long <laughs> time, you know, and she's stuck with me. Um, but, you know, there, there are little abandonments and there are little deaths in our marriage, you know. I, I become an irritant to her, and she does. She withdraws from me. And I can't, I was so angry with her about that. And it's like, and I'm not trying to excuse that she does that or, or when I do that, but it is, it is how we work. It is accurate, an, an accurate um, perception of how people work. And so really the looming question is, well, what do you want to do with your life when it's that way? And for me, that was the turning point because I could, it, it put some responsibility back on me. And, and for me, what it, what it became was, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who I am. And I don't mean in some kind of like cheap, like chicken soup for the soul, you know, authenticity mm -hmm. is the ultimate goal kind of a way. But mm -hmm. like, I'm going to be who I am and who God made me to be. And then some of these cards are going to fall where they may. And then what started to open up for me on a theological level was that God, out of, his, out of his graciousness to me, not out of anything else, decided to loop together his glory and my well-being. Mm. You see, yeah. it's not that God is this um, masochistic, you know, well, I'll just do what's good for you, Calvin. That's a, that's a crock. That's not how God works. It's in, you know, like Hebrews 12, it, it tells us this. It was, it was for the joy set before him that Christ died and that he scorned the shame. Right. You know, he, he despised the shame. Uh, he didn't do that because he's like some 
weird, masochistic, we'll all, all just take the brunt and we'll just make sure you're good, Cal. He did that for his glory. And, or, or the Christ hymn in Philippians 2, you know, it describes, okay, you know, Christ, uh, though being in the very uh, form of God, became, um, became man, taking on the very form of a servant, and, you know, suffered and died and died even a death on a cross. And therefore, and there's like the crux, therefore God exalted him to the highest places. And so then I could just, I could claim it that, okay, God, yeah, God's self-serving. And that's no threat to me. That's no threat to me. Mm. Um, because God has chosen out of his grace to, to use me in whatever a mess I am. Uh, for his glory. And that was something I could really believe. Mm, I couldn't believe sure. this. I, I couldn't believe this unconditional love of, of God that is completely um, opposed to anything that's good for him or to his own pleasure. I, cu I could never believe it. And, and to this day, I can't. Mm. I can't believe it. Um, but the other I could believe. And it was such a comfort. It was such a, uh, a sweet place of comfort and rest that was much more complex and that uh, upset a lot of people around me. Hmm. Why is that? I don't think people like it when I say that God is selfish. Mm. But if his, because I think, I, you know, I'm trying to think about uh, hearing that phrase before of, of the idea that God is selfish for wanting his own glory. But when we realize that his glory is the very Best. I mean, we look at his glory from such a yeah. uh, anthropocentric perspective, but when we exactly, realize yeah. that his glory is the absolute best, untainted, perfect, and he wants us to share in that, then that idea of him <laughs> being wanting, desiring glory um, becomes something beautiful and yes, truly motivating. You yes. know. Well, and I, I think there's this I think there's this great myth that that swims around that being selfish and being a servant are opposed to one another. Mm. Um, what and I think what that really and this is just my this is my personal opinion, but I think part of that is this product of this um, this man centric. Uh, and I think it's like American individualism that's linked in there too, that we see everything from this individual perspective. When, you know, we think about um, people of the ancient Near East, and I mean, the, their entire mindset was communal. It was mm. community. Mm -hmm. See, and when I frame it that way, I look, in this counseling practice, I'm selfish. Okay, w what, what I want is that I want, I want money to pay my bills, <laughs> And I want to do something that I feel good at. And I want the kind of internal pat on the back that I can get uh, when somebody gets better. But here's, here's the trick. And here's really the crux of it. Is that one of the ways that God is making me more like his son is that what, what he has stirred up in my heart is that for me, my greatest pleasure is when I see the well-being of others exploding. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and the well-being mm-hmm. of my community. I mean, it's part of what my my business partner and I want to see with this practice is that, um, like, you know, even our name, Travers Rest Counseling Associates, what, what we really strive to be is a place in Travers Rest that that promotes the well-being of our community using our talents and our um, and our experiences and our education. And see, part of what I realize now is that when my community flourishes, I flourish. When my community flourishes, that's good for my kids, that's good for my wife, right. that's good for my housing price, all those things. And so see, if we take an individual perspective to it, yeah, like my job is incredibly, uh, like it's sacrificial, it's, you know, there's a sense in which I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I take on a servant role in, a, in another sense. Uh, if we take it from a community, a communal perspective and what I'm looking at is human flourishing, this is a job that's great for me and it is my pleasure, my glory mm-hmm. to, to serve others. It is my pleasure and my glory and, and my income <laughs> to sure. be helpful to others. Sure. And that is the way that God works. Which is the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Communal. That's it. That's it. So it's communal. glory moving out in a communal way. That's exactly through right. Through individuals. That's exactly right. Hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, now um, there remains all this tension for me with, with those things. Um, it's a, it can be a really lonely place to be. Hmm. Uh, to have that kind of a, a perspective, I've often been very, very accurately called cynical <laughs> by others. I think my cynicism is, um, I have this counselor who Jesse and I were seeing for a while, just working on some marriage stuff, biblical counseling guy, very, um, very, very dear to me, has uh, looked at me seen me and and loved me for who I am um, but when uh, so I'm a songwriter too and um, when my band's uh, record came out in January he listened to it and <laughs> and after he after he listened to it he was talking with me about it and just broke into tears um he was so he was so saddened mm. he was so saddened by the perspective that I that I bring to the world and I and I <laughs> it it was sad to see him so upset about it um and also it felt like this this moment of relief for me of like oh somebody else somebody right. else sees yeah. the sadness yeah. of this it it is a sad thing to to look at the world the way that i do um my favorite movie is seven you know with uh, brad pitt kevin spacey um because i i feel that it is as as close a depiction of the gospel through my eyes as anything else so, you know, the vast majority of this movie, you just see this human depravity just played out in the most atrocious, disgusting, 
ways and you see it up to the till the very last moment of the film and then the the last line of the movie it's his voiceover for morgan freeman and he and he says ernest hemingway once said that the world is a fine place and worth fighting for and he says i i agree with the second part wow and that to me i mean it's a it's a it's a christless gospel in in the film but there's this nugget of the gospel there and it's as it's as close as anything i've ever seen to what the gospel looks like through my eyes that it we we live in this world that is so uh it is so unjust and you know i have people sit on that couch that you're sitting on right now and the things that they tell me would turn your stomach mm -hmm. and they turn mine um the world is so unfair and so unjust and cruel and violent and it is worth fighting for. Why? Because human beings are made in the image of God. You know, um, there's a pastor who has this quip that, that honestly, I, th I think there's a, a great bit of truth in this, but when, he's, when people ask him how he is, he says, well, better than I deserve. And, and I appreciate that. In one sense and in another sense, I want to shake my fist at him and say, no, human beings are to be treated with dignity because we're made in the image of God. And we are sinners. We are a mess. G.K. Chesterton says that man saves his good the way that Crusoe saved the goods from the ship, that he saves them from a wreck. Mm. And that's us. We are a wreck. We are such a mess but there are goods to be rescued if we, if we would do it. And so the, the world is not a fine place and it is so worth fighting for. And that's something that I've, I, I feel that I, can, that I can get behind. It gives my life meaning. It gives me a sense of, of hope. It gives me a hunger for, you know, gosh, like I have this deep set hunger for this to be over, for Christ to come in and reign, you know, and God did, <laughs> I, I found that, I think I pathologized that for so long, and now I see it as, oh my gosh, God has given you this great gift. God has given you this wonderful gift that, that I have. Um, there's so little love lost for the world as it is now, <laughs> and so it, it, that motivates me and compels me to to build the kingdom and and to yearn for for the reign of christ you know you know i wonder if um i think you through that a little bit i wonder if you know i'm just the tension of jesus in the world seeing the injustice feeling the injustice and culminating on the cross and him saying it is finished was sort of <laughs> You know, connecting the dots between um, his humanity and our humanity of that longing that you're talking about of going, I, I, I can't wait for Jesus to reign. So you know, we are in the already in the not yet. We're already redeemed, but we're still in this world, <laughs> suffering as Christ suffered. There'll be one day when we say, in our last breath, it's finished. <laughs> 
I have done, and God will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, yeah. because Christ has already done it as our pre-runner before yeah. us. Yeah. You know, I've never made that that connection quite like that before, but, I mean, just hearing your anguish of going, I want this to be over, it just reminds me of so much of what you know, Christ did too, yeah. you know? And he yeah. did it. Yeah. And he did it. Just, you know, it's we see Jesus in those old, you know, gospel films, and he's this, like, zen, you know, hippie who, like, floats around, you know, seemingly kind of untouched by the by the difficulties of life, maybe until he's getting, you know, <laughs> whipped and having nails driven through him. And, and then we see, we finally, finally see some emotion on his face. Right. And, you know, scripture paints a very different picture. I mean, we worship a man of sorrows. And, and, and part of that, you know, for me as a mental health professional, mental health professionals largely think about mental health as the absence of of symptoms and so there's this kind of this subjective well-being that we're trying to bring our our you know we're trying to bring our clients into that where they just feel good and you know as a believer i look at that and say how can i call that mental health Mm. when what you know if, if that's what mental health is then i worship a loon I show up every Sunday and I sing songs of praise and songs of confession and songs of thanksgiving to a loon. And instead, here's the great comfort for me, um, Alfred Adler, who uh, he converted to Protestantism. You know, I don't, of course, I can't make cast any aspersions on where where he is now, but, um, or, or make any guesses about that, but. But what he, how he defined mental health was, uh, it's, a, it's a great German word, Gemeinschaftsgefühl, which is this, this idea of community feeling or social interest, this idea that the well-being of me as an individual is inextricably tied to the well-being of my community. And I look at that and I say, you know, if that's what mental health is, Jesus was the healthiest person to ever live. Mm. He didn't feel good. This is a guy who his last, his, you know, some of his final words was an expression of anguish and a feeling of abandonment from his father. Mm. You know, I mean, he's, he's crying out to God saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you left me here? That's the guy that I worship. He's not some... He's not some smile on his face, you know, make, making lemonade out of lemons guy. That's not, that's not him. Yeah. And, but as he's crying those words, he's also looking down on these people who have crucified him and also declaring to his father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's seeking the well-being of these people who are murdering him. And that Okay, now that's, that's a definition of mental health that I can get behind. And not that I want, of course, I don't want my clients crucified. But, <laughs> but that is the spirit that I, I want them to feel better so that they can help, so that they can lend a hand. And if, and if they feel better and don't lend a hand, then I've done nothing for them. Mm-hmm. I've not helped them at all. And, and really, they're no, they're no more healthy than they were when they, 
when then they came in mm-hmm. and um and that's a, that that's a kind of perspective on on living that I can get behind and that, that I feel is is worth something you know that's not just cheap yeah chicken soup for the soul feel better right you know whatever um, something I can get behind right <laughs> Calvin love you brother thank you thank you for giving me an, an opportunity to speak tell a story it's uh, strange how how visceral all this is, still is to me you know how it sits with me still so yeah. thank you thank you yeah second corinthians chapter one beginning at verse three reads blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and god of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Those who are interviewed in the Fish Food podcast are people who have uniquely received God's mercy in their situations and have been willing with humble vulnerability to share that mercy uh, with the public. I want to say a big thank you to them for their bravery. May God bless them and bless their ministry to others. Be sure to visit us at fishfood.me and uh, do those three things that will help you and benefit us. One, share these podcasts with those uh, who may benefit from it. Secondly, become a patron. Go to our website, click on support, help us to continue this. And then thirdly, if you know somebody with a story of God's redemptive mercy, the restorative mercy in their lives, that would be willing to tell their story, shoot us an email. Uh, the the uh, ability to do that is on the front page of our website. Thank you very much.